This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes. Dave, we've been absent, mate. We didn't even flag it last week. We, uh, I was on holiday um, and Dave... Dave didn't take up the reins, he was busy himself. So uh, we've had a bit of a summer break, mate. Um, feeling refreshed? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's probably our first ever week since the show started where, where we didn't record, which is very rare. I don't think we'll be making a habit of it, but it's how it pl- played out last week. Uh, so hopefully it wasn't missed too much. But in fairness, Josh, it does give us the opportunity, doesn't it, to kind of have a good talk about Liverpool because obviously the shows prior to our small break were very focused around Europe 2020 and there was talk of England as well and that's all being and gone now and things have been happening to do with Liverpool that we've finally discussed. So, you know, it's uh, it's got its positives, hasn't it? Yeah, well, this is going to be kind of a... A bit of a take stock type episode as opposed to the notebook type thing. Um, because as you say, I said to you this morning, we haven't really spoken about Liverpool for about a month, uh, despite the fact that this is analysing Anfield. You know, last week we weren't here, week before it was England, the week before that it was England. So since then, we've got enough to go on from a Liverpool perspective. We're going to be bouncing from totally different topics throughout the show. It's going to be very scattergun. Uh, but it's going to be Liverpool throughout, really. We've got enough to talk about. And I think we're going to start with... I think we'll start with today's news. We're, we're recording on the Wednesday. And shortly before we started recording, news has came out that Liverpool have an interest in Jared Bowen. A um, little bit of a surprising one, I suppose. But we'll talk about that first. So, Dave, thoughts on that one? Yeah, really, uh, really interesting, actually, um, because he's a player who who I like. I think we've probably spoke about him a few times. Looked really good at Hull. Looked a really good piece of business for West Ham, who've recruited fairly well across the last 12, 18 months on the whole. Um, a really versatile player. Uh, does a lot of good work off the ball. Um has some nice stuff with it as well. But what's interesting is, Josh, when I when I saw these kind of links coming out, I was like, right, okay, I'll have a, a little I'll have a little look at his numbers because although I knew he was there, I wouldn't say I was paying that much attention to what he was doing at West Ham. And he looks very beige, to be honest, and to, and, and whilst he's been at West Ham, that he hasn't exactly been doing a lot of anything fantastic. Um just being a really kind of uh, a very kind of West Ham player, I guess, under Moyes, you know, doing a lot of good work, but nothing that's standing out. And yeah, it was a strange one, if I'm being brutally honest. One, a bit, it reminds me a little bit, not in terms of the same player, but just the links and where they come from. It reminds me a little bit when Liverpool were getting, were, were getting linked with uh, John McGinn. Now, another player that you respect, you, you, you think is a good player in his own right, you even like him, but maybe not Liverpool level. But, but I mean, what's your thoughts? Am I being a little bit harsh or what do you think? No, that, that was my general thought, really, as well, when it comes to it. I think my biggest concern is, um, or was, 
probably just a quality level, just just general quality. Uh, I think he's quite similar to Jota in terms of the type of player that he is. He's just not as good. I think it's probably a, the easiest way of putting it. And I don't think he can reach the same level Jota can reach. I think Jota can reach elite elite level. I, I'm not sure I'd say that about Jared Bowen. Uh, both the same age. I do think he, when I say similar to Jota, I mean as in very, very versatile across the front line. He can play as a centre forward. He can play on either flank really, although he suits to the to Salah's side a little bit more, given his left foot. But even though he's left footed, he's very, very two footed. Um, according to FB Ref, you know stats bomb, which we use quite often, he prefers his left, but only seventy nine percent, which is quite, you know, that's quite towards the middle. You know, obviously fifty percent would be. 50% left foot, 50% right foot. So he's 79%. Players who are really one-footed will be in the 90%. And that's most of them, really. I'll get, I'll, I'll get Jotters up in a sec when, I, when I'm done. But yeah, I think when you look at his numbers, Dave, I was expecting a bit better from his numbers. Just for a bit of yeah. perspective on that, Jotters 67% right-footed. So Jotters more two-footed than Bowen, but Bowen's still quite more two-footed than the average player. But yeah, in terms of his numbers, his numbers do just look really generic. They're certainly not the type of numbers that would make a player stand out. Um, mm. He's not an outlier in any department, really. He's not like a dribbler or a carrier or, a, you know, he's, he's not really anything specific. He's just kind of, I suppose, that versatile um, kind of blank slate type attacker who is a bit of a threat, can score with both feet. Fairly mobile he's not the quickest not as quick as Jota though um I think he's homegrown which is a nice thing and probably a bigger perk when it comes to this sort of stuff is I think I think he'd probably accept what you what you'd label as a rotation type role I think he'd probably offer a better option from the bench than someone like an Arigi or something like that but yeah not blown away by it but I, I don't I, I probably I can see why it's there you know what I mean I can see why the link's there but I, I think similar to McGinn, I wouldn't be that surprised if he was on the shortlist. But I think on the shortlist, maybe maybe about seventh down list or something like that. You know, nowhere near the top. Mm, yeah. If you were trying to find a caveat for the numbers, maybe you could argue. You know, he's to an extent shackled a little bit playing in that West Ham side and the system that they deploy and how you know the tactics they use, but. I don't think that explains it all. Um, and and, and yeah, you, you, you could say that about Jota as well, couldn't you? When he was at Wolves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think he, uh, I, it, I mean, we don't have it. It would have been good maybe to have his numbers uh, to hand and, and maybe compare a Jota with a Bowen, uh, a Wolves Jota with a West Ham Bowen, seeing, you know, what those, what his numbers were like then and then obviously how he scaled them up going to a more attack-minded team like Liverpool. Um Maybe that's a piece that one of us might put together after this, but um, one to look out for, maybe. But yeah, it's just you've kind of said it there, haven't you? That he's he, okay, put it this way is he better? Is he going to be considered better than one of the front three? No. Uh, would you hold him in high regard than Jota? No. So you're probably looking at maybe a fifth choice attacker potentially or a player kind of between those four, but better than Origi, um, which is fine. And he definitely will be an upgrade, but 
West Ham only bought him for 20, 25 million uh, in January last year, 2020, I think it was. So what are you, as bear in mind, he's English, you've already pointed out. Now, what would what would you have to pay to get him? Would it be about maybe 40 million, something like what you paid for Jota? And then you start thinking, is that the best use of, of resources? I'm not sure. I'd, I'd probably argue not. Yeah, and it, you know, in addition to that, he's got a contract there still, which doesn't expire till twenty twenty five. Um, that's obviously another four years on his deal. And if you consider everything you've just said there, um, the type of player that he is, and the fact that in terms of a transfer fee, he probably wouldn't be available for cheap. You know, we wouldn't get him for buttons. Okay, his wage might be a bit a bit reduced, which would be a perk, but his transfer fee wouldn't. I kind of looking at that potential deal and thinking well why why not Rafinha then because Rafinha I think is the same age maybe a year younger no I think he's the same age actually um but he's also left footed prefers the same spot on the pitch uh came to England or, or came to the Premier League at least not 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 that long after Bowen came to West Ham about six months after I think and for me Rafinha's just better, and Rafinha's maybe got that elite seal that Bowen maybe doesn't have. Um, obviously, there's a few differences between them and stuff like that, but I think they're comparable enough for you to say, well, if you're going for Bowen, why aren't you Why aren't you fussed on Rafinha unless we've, we've sent the feelers out there and there's been absolutely nothing back or something? Mm-hmm. Um, but although I can see the logic behind Bowen, I can see why he's a, he's a type Liverpool would pay a bit of attention to. I still don't think he's. Um, I still can't see. It. I can't see that one happening for the for, for what he'd cost and stuff. Mm, yeah, and on that Rafinha point as well. You know, you look at the two clubs they're at now. Who's more? Although neither exactly like Liverpool. Who's more comparable? You'd arguably say Leeds and the way Leeds play. You know, in terms of the. A bit more pressure, you know, a bit more intensity. If you think of West Ham, it's a little bit more um, defence orientated, uh, kind of happy to play without the ball, uh, maybe sitting better in, you know, more compact shape and things. So, um, just just because you mentioned them, I do think Rafinha is on paper at least. There's more of a case to it, and it all this that we're talking about now leads me to believe that maybe uh, this is a this is. It could be trying to throw people off the. People use the term smoke screen. Maybe it's a smoke screen uh, for another deal. Yeah, this feels like that type of thing, doesn't it? If it feels a bit like a smoke smoke screen, I don't, I think, mm. as I said, I think there'll be some interest there. I don't, I don't, I think that'll be probably genuine. But to actually think of a move happening, it just really does feel unrealistic, considering. What you'd be buying him for the fact that he'd probably be all right being a rotation option, but then you wouldn't you the figure you'd have to pay wouldn't be the figure that you'd pay for a rotation option. You'd be paying mm. upwards of thirty million plus at least. Liverpool aren't going to pay that for a lad who's going to get less than two thousand Premier League minutes in the in a season. So it, it does feel like the type of thing that you'd maybe feed out there if you're not getting what you want back from the actual attacker that you want from somewhere else from from Europe or something like that unless maybe you know I'm, I'm maybe overthinking this one but could this potentially fund West Ham's Lingard chase 
and maybe you give them the option to think, well, if we get with a bone, we can get Lingard. Maybe we're putting that feeling out there and seeing if they bite or something like that. But mm. it's a strange market, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's difficult. It's, it is really difficult to predict and not just predict, kind of identify the games that are being played, you know, the, the more long term. Um, yeah, strategies that are being utilised. It's it, it is it's a tough market, and a lot of it ties in with what we've already said. You know, like the COVID, tough tough finances and things like that. So um, it'll be interesting to see if anything actually pans out on it. Just thinking about how the how the market's worked so far. You know, a lot of swap deals have been mentioned. Just trying to think if there's an and Liverpool could do in that department. Maybe if they did actually want Bowen, any potential swaps we could kind of throw in there for West Ham. Um, I'm not sure if they've got much of a striker option behind Antonio. I suppose you could throw Origi into the mix there. Mm. Um, I think they've got okay right back. Uh, back up, so I don't think Nico Williams would fit that bill. Harry Wilson, I don't think, has really been linked with West Ham. But Harry no. Wilson would be a similar type in terms of being left foot and stuff. It could be like um, Wilson and Cash. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Origi, mm. Shakiri, maybe you could throw in there. Um, but it... it, it I'd be a bit surprised if, if anything was to come of that, but I'm not that surprised at the same time that there's that there's um interest there because as I said, for me he's like a bit of a a beta version of Jota. For me, just not as good now and not gonna be as good as well in the future. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, we'll we'll leave that talk there, see if that keep an eye on that one, see if it goes anywhere. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Probably even more surprising than the Bowen one was the um, all the news around Jordan Henderson, Dave. Um, you know, initially it came out as a... I can't remember who initially released the, released the first bit of news. But then all the, all the journalists scattered around various different publications started talking about it. So it's obviously some some form of feed that's been put out there. Uh, are you surprised? Jordan Henderson? Um yeah, I am. I'll be honest, it comes a shock. You know, this the feels like there's pillars in the squad at the moment, you know, key pillars. Uh your Van Dykes, uh, you know, members of the front three, uh and Henderson. You know, you put Henderson in there, Allison, he's another one, these, these kind of players. And to see that he could potentially leave as soon as this summer was was a surprise. Um and it'll be interesting to see how it pans out because Reading between the lines, it looks like maybe similar, you know, I've saw similarities drawn with the Wine Alden deal and I can understand why. It seems as though Liverpool potentially want to offer a more offer a more economical uh, contract, you know, something with a bit more of the long term in mind. So they're not stuck up with big wages for a player who's no longer performing. Um, but he, he, he clearly doesn't want that. Uh, which you can understand, and and it seems like they are a little, little bit of a crossroads. I would not be surprised at all if it was if it was sorted out fairly promptly. But you know, as we saw with Wijnaldum, we did expect that one to get sorted out at, when it was first kind of happening, and it didn't. Uh, so I'm not sure what's going to happen. Thankfully, there's two years, isn't it? You know, it's not as if it's it's in the next few months that needs sorting. But at the same time, if if a nice offer comes in, lucrative offer. He might end up the partner. Well, that's why I thought it was a bit weird because he's he's thirty one, and he still has two years remaining. So, 
that's the type of situation where Liverpool would have probably been looking at that and thought, I I think they would have been looking at it and thinking, we're fine for for this summer, certainly. You know, maybe you reassess next summer. And given the fact that it's Henderson, you know, club captain, being at the club for over a decade and stuff, you just get the impression really that, for him especially, it kind of is one of them where, you know, when it gets closer to the expiry date, maybe, then you can talk about it. And if it's the right thing for both parties, we can renew and stuff. But I just thought it was a little bit odd for Henderson to come out so early, given his age and the fact he's got two years remaining and saying, you know, I need I need the club to show me that they still want me and stuff like that. That's the kind of thing that maybe I, I would have understood more if Wijnaldum did it. Because if Wijnaldum did that two years before his deal expired, I think he would have been around the age of 27. Salah's doing it a little bit now. Again, I can understand a little bit more with Salah, given his age and stuff like that and his performances and things. But with Henderson, especially given that he's picked up a few injuries of late, I just thought it was a quite a surprising, almost uncharacteristic move of him. Um, I'm not, I don't think in any way it's like a, a slant on him or anything like that. It, it, I just thought it was a bit more of a relaxed situation when it comes to his his future. Mm, yeah, yeah. It feels like... Um, I mean, you don't know, do you? You don't know how much is him, how much is maybe representatives who are, uh, probably approach it with less... Uh, less of an eggshell approach, shall we say? You know, less uh, kind of tippy toeing, more a little bit up front because they've got a job to do. It could be that, you know, there may even be Josh a chance that he, he you know, I don't want to upset anyone, but there could be this the desire within where he thinks, you know, I, I'd still like to go to another big club and be a key player. You know, if he's getting feelers that he's perhaps going to be become like a a little bit phased out or a bit like a Milner character where he kind of comes in and out and does a job when when required without necessarily being that key starter, then maybe thinks, well, I I don't want that because I believe I've got more to give. Um, And that doesn't mean that, you know, he doesn't love the club, wouldn't wouldn't stay, but he could just be thinking about his own career. He's only got a few years left and, you know, he, he obviously wants to being a starting eleven for them, uh, and if that's not a guarantee, then perhaps he is thinking of other adventures or opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I I did expect him to follow a bit of a Milner type path. You know, he, he comes across to me as the type of player who could fill in as a fullback if needed and stuff like that. And although he, I I suppose I just never really factored in whether he'd want to do that. He comes across mm-hmm. as too much of a team player, too much of a captain, and too happy at Liverpool to um to kick up any sort of fuss and obviously he's got a great relationship with Klopp and stuff so I found that one quite surprising um and I, I must admit I'd be absolutely shocked if he moved <laughs> this summer I, I absolutely cannot see that happening but I think maybe it's just an early sort of kick in Liverpool's direction that like you know if you're looking on running my deal down like wine albums without saying anything to the public or something maybe it's an early indication that henderson will will want to make it quite clear or will want to kick up a bit more of a fuss than wine album did i'm not really sure but i suppose henderson might be thinking you know at the age of 33 who will want me at that age whereas mm. now he seems to have suitors in psg atletico madrid 
I think Juventus have been thrown in there. So, you know, I understand it a little bit, but it just feels for me the type of situation that doesn't need doesn't need to be much of a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it does feel quite premature, maybe to be coming to this standpoint, which which makes me think that there might be a little bit more in it. I think it's two things: it's either being blown out of proportion, or there's more in it, and maybe he's got good good offers on the table, and he's thinking, let me go, let me go. Be a top performer elsewhere if you're not going to allow me to do that at Liverpool, which could be an option. But here's a question though: Would you would take the sentiments out of it? Because we know we know how he's been at the club for ten years, club captain. You know he's like a pretty much a Liverpool legend now. How would you feel about losing Henderson, the player, in this current side? Honestly, um, I think I wouldn't be happy. I I want to. To stay, I think he's he offers that those intangible stuff, that those intangible things that some people, when you reference them, some people are inclined to roll their eyes a little bit because you can't really, I suppose, put a number on it or quantify it and stuff. But he is just kind of you can't put a value on what he what he adds really, you know. And it, and I I I think I've heard that you know next next season Milner's contract is going to be up and he's probably going to be allowed to leave. One album's just left. Now, in the current Liverpool squad, I think there's four leaders or whatever that were voted by the actual squad a few years back. Those four leaders were Wayne Aldum, Milner, Henderson, and Van Dyke. Now, in the course of two years or so, you don't want to. I think I'd be really mindful of losing three out of the four. You now, that's mm. just the kind of thing that you 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 want to avoid, maybe. And, I actually think since FSG have, t- have took charge and stuff, I think they've been good at removing sentiment and stuff. But I think they've been... I don't think... I haven't really been too happy with how they've dealt with club legends coming to the end of the time at the club. I think specifically Carragher, I'm not really sure they dealt with him in the best way. And certainly Gerard, um, You know, after the service Gerard gave the club, he was kind of made to feel like he was okay to leave. But no one really said that to him and stuff. No one made made him feel wanted and stuff. And I think in in situations like that, you can do a bit more to just keep them around the club. Maybe not playing all the time and stuff. But I don't know. It always depends on the the preferences of the person at the end of the day. But when it comes to Henderson, as I said, he he just uh, it's that kind of that daft line, isn't it? Really, he knows the club and all that. But it's it it is a bit of a thing for me. It's it's. It's, at least when it comes to a dressing room. Yeah, it's a hundred percent a thing. I have absolutely no doubt. Uh, it, it it just goes back again. I take pride in how much we talk about the psycholo- psychological aspects of the game because obviously, if, for what we focus on normally, a lot of people who do that tend to disregard this stuff and just focus solely on numbers and and things. But you know, we 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 revalue this stuff such as just as much. And Henderson is the epitome of that player. Um, you know, real leader. Um, as you said, knows the club well, big in the dressing room. Uh, he's, he's just everything you need in a su- su- successful side. So I agree. Uh, I think he'd he'd be a miss this season because he still offers a lot to the team. Um, maybe this conversation could be a little bit easier in 12 months' time if he didn't have the best campaign or you see him starting to dwindle in terms of what he offers. But uh, at the moment, you Put this way, is everyone's fit? You'd still expect them to be in that starting eleven with the captain's armbands on, 
you know, the, the beginning of the season, wouldn't you? First game yeah. of the season. Yeah, he'd still start for me if he was, you know, 100% fit and stuff like that. I think he, he still starts for me. Um, and what I've just referenced there in terms of, you know, he knows the club and things like that. I think that's okay to play down when it comes to making a managerial appointment. You know, I think, say, for example, when Chelsea had appointed Frank Lampard and one of the tick boxes on his thing is knows the club. I don't really think it plays too much of a thing in 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 that area. But I think specifically when a when a player's been at a club for over a decade, and he's just upholding standards, I think is probably the key thing. Those standards very very easily drop if you remove the players who have been upholding them all at once. I think United suffered a little bit from that, and mm. Solsk- since Solskjaer has gone in, he's kind of had to. I, I read stuff that he had to cleanse the squad or something. I think that was Gary Neville's words actually, cleanse the squad and all this. Um, but in terms of Henderson, Dave, you know, question for you. What what are you doing then in this situation? Are you are you treating them differently to Wine Alden? Because I think we obviously provided a bit of context on the Wine Alden situation and brought in his age and things like that, and why it probably does make sense to let him go and start again with a new a, a newer model and things. When it comes to Henderson, he's even older and he's more injury prone. So, you know, have we got an alternative take when it comes to Henderson? Because I do feel personally, I would be a lot more concerned if we lost him. Compared to Wine Album, despite the 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 availability of Wine Album and stuff, and and the fact he was younger, yeah, I just think there's a lot more intangibles with Henderson uh, that you got to consider. I think you touched on one on one earlier, and that would be going from losing, uh, well, losing like Wine Album, a key figure, to then losing arguably the most important, or at least one of the most important. You know, you're losing Wine Alderman and Henderson in one one summer window, which is which is a lot. Um I can't see it from the other side. I can't see a 31 year old player who's a really good player. Maybe not phenomenal, but really good. And um at 31, he's probably gonna start declining. If you could bring money in for them now, which you probably would get some decent money, you know, should you take that opportunity? I can't see that, but for me it just feels a little bit too soon. I think it's all happening too quick. I'd, I'd like to see another 12 months of him in this side and kind of reassess where he was then because you could theoretically do that. You could still bring in money if a player's got a year left on his on his contract. I think it gets a little bit more tougher then with two years, but um, you could make a decision in 12 months' time and have a better idea of the player he, he, he still is. So for me, I'd, I'd be looking to appease him for now um, that's the thing, no. This this is the sticking point. Could you? Could you appease him? Could you say we'll do this in twelve months time? I don't think you could. And the vibe I'm getting is it kind of wants to be resolved one way or the other now, um, making it tricky. So my 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 perfect scenario would be trying to delay this this uh, negotiation for twelve months time and then decide then. But it's whether Liverpool are going to have that option. Yeah, I would agree hundred percent. That's exactly my thoughts on it as well. So. Um, hopefully that can happen, and I don't really see any reason why it wouldn't happen. That's why I was a bit surprised. You know, thirty-one year old was two years left on his deal. It doesn't need to be sorted now when you've got other players running out who are much younger and much more valuable in terms of market value and things. So, yeah, push it back twelve months for me, and then reassess then if he's still able to get on the pitch as often as um as often as you'd like and stuff. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel.
Next on the checklist is just general contracts because Liverpool have a, a weird situation kind of gradually materialising here. So, in 2023, I'll, I'll list all the players, but some of them, I suppose, aren't as prominent, but I'll list them all anyway. So, in 2023, which is two years from now, the players who contract expires, Mohamed Saleh, Sadio Mane, Fabinho, Virgil van Dijk, Roberto Fabinho, Naby Keita, Oxlade-Chamberlain, um, Sharon Shaqiri, Naf Phillips, Harry Wilson, Reese Williams. So that's a hefty chunk of your squad, really. And there's a fair few players in there who are vital. You know, players who you have to renew. You have to renew Salah, in my opinion. You have to renew Van Dijk. Have to renew Fabinho. There's others in there that are very, very close to you have to renew as well. Um, but it's a, a bit of a sticky point that, and it's it's interesting because I think you could say maybe Crystal Palace have ju- are kind of undergoing that now. You know, let let loads of players go and starting again a little bit, and he seems to be doing it quite well as well. But it's a situation for Liverpool that. That looks interesting, and there's been, you know, memes of it's the year that FSG are going to look to revitalise the squad or whatever, and they're going to kind of go again for another year almost. Uh, have you got any thoughts, Dave, on 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 that current contact situation, and maybe you know what you expect to come of it, what the thinking maybe is, and stuff, or if it's been a product of COVID? Mm, yeah, I think it's a. Uh... Another another thing you could you could argue with is it's it's maybe one of the drawbacks of having a having a squad on the side that peak together you know as a as a as a group because it's worked so well in that it it creates this really good team that Liverpool have been for the past three or four years um, you know it's all been built at the same time and worked perfectly but then you get to this position where suddenly that that first phase of where the initial contracts are starting to starting to finish up and it it just depends whether you see that as a positive or a negative because obviously you start thinking well we've got a lot of negotiations to have here um we've got a, we've got a kind of a lot of squad management in all in one short window but then would you prefer that to doing it in peaks and troughs i don't know i guess i, I guess we've never experienced that from the inside to know what it's like as a club doing doing these kind of things. Um we can only look from the outside. But yeah, potentially that's a drawback of just the way Liverpool built the team and done it all together. Um again, at least it's two years and not, you know, not twelve months. I think some other clubs in the league have made mistakes of not doing enough in in a good time. I think of I think Arsenal have done that a little bit with the likes of Lacazette. Um you know where they're not really sorting deals or quick enough, uh, so two two year window isn't isn't bad, but um, it will be interesting. Mate. It'll be interesting to see who who kind of get who deprioritise because there's so many names to get through. You know, is it going to be Salas and stuff? And then is that why maybe Henderson isn't getting uh, isn't kind of top top of the pile? Are you looking at? I'm trying to think of the names you just said, but are you looking like a Salah and Alisson Van Dijk? Or are you looking about getting them tied down first and then you're working your way down the list as a bit of like a, almost a priority? Yeah, it's 
it is an interesting one, and I'll be honest, I'm I'm not sure how exactly it's going to play out because when when you look at those players, obviously it's it can be nice in certain moments to let players go for free because you get them off the wage bill, but then at the end of the day, you're not getting a fee for the, for the players, and I'm sure. In most situations, Liverpool would like to get a fee for a player who's leaving, unless his value is better, better on the pitch for for the final season, like it probably was for Wijnaldum. Um, but it just really is an insistent little situation that Liverpool have got themselves in. When it comes to, you know, Harry Wilson was on the list. I'd expect him to be sold. Reese Williams, I think he'd probably get another contract, or um, and then maybe be sold when he gets closer to to a Nath Phillips type age maybe. Again, Nath Phillips is on the list. I expect him to probably be sold. Shakiri, I think he'll be sold. And then again, you know, Naby Keita is on that list. We've spoken about Keita in recent times in terms of like what on earth the club are going to do with him. Mm. <laughs> um, Because he's, he's never on the field despite his ability and stuff. And he's still a good age, but he's just never on the pitch. So there's been pieces written specifically around the front three because the whole of the front three Expire in twenty twenty three, and there's been a way that you know you can't you can't keep holding basically. So, you know, I am inclined to think that if anyone's going to leave out of the front three, it probably would be Firmino, considering he was at the club first. And I, I think you could probably argue he's declining quickest or or first as well, or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, it's it's a tricky one. It's a it's a real one to navigate, and I'm not sure whether Liverpool will be desperate to fix it completely or whether they'll take the Crystal Palace approach and just kind of um, welcome the upheaval really and you know you, you can get rid of players without really having to find a buyer. I think Liverpool have generally struggled to find some buyers recently for certain players um, but obviously when the contracts run out, you can kind of just let them go. I've just sent you over there on, on, on the chat, Dave, the, the image of the, the players who are mm. running out of contract just for you to have a look at, at the other years as well. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, the year before 2022, which is next summer, there's kind of no issue there at all, really. Arigi's contract mm. runs out, Milner's contract runs out, Carius, Ben Wood, Ben and Adrian. So that's kind of a free hit, really. Um, there's some favours in that one to be honest yeah yeah he definitely is yeah. that's what I was just mentioning there in terms of struggling to find buyers there players mm. some players in there you can just kind of be glad you've got them off the wage bill in a way yeah. that's 2023 summer as I said I'm not, I'm not sure what Liverpool are going to do on that one that, 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 that's a hard one to predict I think especially mm. given the financials and stuff mm. Mm. yeah I agree yeah it's, it's there's a lot of big hitters in that group uh, a lot of big hitters so yeah it's gonna and it, it will it will be one of them that it's gonna have to sit down and see you know who's crucial to this this side being successful going forward and who who maybe isn't um and i think there's at least at least four or five players there who, who definitely are i in my opinion fairly important at least four um you probably look at salah mane being you know, van dyke and that's if you're kind of thinking for me, you know, could probably move on. Uh, but even that's not a sure thing. So, yeah, there's a, yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one, Josh. So, one of the players on that list was Oxley Chamberlain. Um, and there's been a bit of news around him lately. He's next on the talking point list. 
um, because he's been rumoured, well, not rumoured, he's been, uh, you know, described as impressed in training um, in further forward roles. So he's been touted for a wide role and also as a central role, potentially as a false nine type stuff. So uh, thoughts on that one? Because there's been a bit of um, eye rolls, I think, towards that one as well, because it's, it's, it feels typical. It, it feels another of a smokescreen type thing, really. You know, we don't need um, Alison because we've got Danny Ward there doing fine. You know what I mean? It, it feels mm, like yeah, one of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, alarm bells if, you, if we ever heard that <laughs> one. <laughs> but I do get what you're saying, totally. Uh, I think... It's funny, you know, so obviously me me and you talk, don't we, before we go on the show and we just have a rough idea. We, we don't really do scripted stuff. We just have a rough idea of what we're going to talk about. And I knew this was coming up. So I went and had a look at some old video. Well, I say old, you know, last couple of seasons of Oxley chamberlain specifically, you know, two or three years ago before the injuries and when he was kind of featuring more because, you know, it's 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 not regular. It, well, it hasn't been regular recently, and when it has, it's been kind of in different positions and cameos. Um, and I, I approached it with the perception that I'd realised I kind of see Oxley Chamberlain as a as this kind of kind of powerful uh, direct runner type. You know, strong player, um, good at running with the ball, progressing the team up the pitch. I do think he has that in him, but. What really struck me when I was watching this, watching his, some of his best actions back, was that you know he uh, he's got he's got good technical ability, um, which probably comes from playing often in in, in midfield. Um, got really good cro- close control, um, and I forgot how good he was off the ball in terms of pressing off the ball. And you kind of look at that as what? a checklist. I've oh, gone sorry. One thing I'll throw into that as well, he, he can strike a ball as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's got a few uh, a few thunderbolts in him, like, hasn't he? <laughs> uh, some players haven't, but he definitely has. Um so when you kind of put that in a checklist, it, you start seeing a lot of things that uh Roberto Firmino does for Liverpool in that position. You know, we know he's not a traditional number nine. Um and we wouldn't be we we wouldn't expect him to be playing so as in this Liverpool side, would we? So, I don't know, Josh. I, I, I'll be honest, I'm not fully convinced, but I can kind of see it a little bit. Can you or are you just thinking it's a, a load of nonsense? No, with me, I've, I've always looked at him and thought he should be able to play like Mane, I suppose, um, that type of role. He should be able to play on the left of the front three Cutting inside, using his right foot, finding the nets every now and then. Opposing players bouncing off him because of how strong he is alongside, with how quick he is. And again, that speed, he's quick enough to pose a threat in behind. Um, so he's he's always come across to me as suitable as a forward. But for some reason, he's, he's just never really done it for me. Whenever, I've, whenever he's played as a forward, it hasn't been that often, but whenever he has... I've just never really been that convinced. He's never looked that at home, never looked that comfortable. Um, and I can't, I've always found it really hard to pinpoint exactly why that is. Um, Forgettable performances, would you say? Yeah, and he's, he's scored once or twice as well, doing it, you know, as a substitute and things. And, mm. But he's just never really looked that comfortable doing it. And I think 
when you think of what he's good at in central midfield, for, for me, he's a, a really good ball carrier. You know, he can carry the ball. He's got re- really energetic, mobile, and he quite he's a bit of a force really when he's on the ball. Sometimes he can he can link the midfield and the attack quite well as like that third centre mid type, but like a bit like maybe a Kovacic type player. Um, but he just strikes me as a bit less. I don't I don't really want to say this because he's a. I don't know, a bit less smart with his usage of the ball. I think sometimes he's a bit reckless and a bit raw. And given his age, how old is he, Dave? You know how old he is? I, don't, I, yeah, I think he's sometimes... Th- Go on. Go on, sorry. I was going to say, I think he's about 27. Yeah, 27. Yeah, well, I think sometimes he plays like he's about 23, I think, sometimes. And um, sometimes in central midfield, you need a bit more about you when, you when you're making certain decisions. Don't get me wrong, I think he... The risks he takes in central midfield can benefit you at times. Like I think specifically when we faced Atletico Madrid at Anfield, he was really, really handy in that game. Although we ended up losing because uh, of Adrian. <laughs> um, we, we, we were in a position where we were going through. And the way I thought the way in which we played that game was really clever because Atletico Madrid, obviously, two banks of four, very, very narrow defending. So the way in which we attacked them, the way in which we caused them problems was by generating overloads on the flanks. So we played Ox as a number eight. Obviously, Trent as the right back and Salah as the right-sided forward. So you've got three really, really attacking players there on the right side, overloading and linking to form a little bit of a trio. And it caused problems. And I think Henderson in that game dropped back to play as the number six. Mm. But Ox in that game, because of the role he was tasked with, he was basically him, Trent, and Salah basically took turns to play as the right sided forward. There was just so much rotation. Um and it worked really well. So I like him when he's got the when when he can use his physicality, when he can drive with the ball and carry the ball forward. And I think when you think of him as a false nine, he'd kind of be doing the opposite. If you think of what Firmino does, Firmino comes away. From the last line, uh, from the front line, towards the ball, the play moves kind of around them. So I think I've spoke about this with Curtis Jones in the past. Someone asked on a Q and A once, I think. Can Curtis Jones play as a false nine? And I value Jones similarly to Ox in terms of his physicality, his ball carrying, his mobility, his energy. You want players like that to be carrying the ball, I think. And in a false nine role. Everyone around you is moving and you're kind of just doing little subtle movements and coming towards the ball, aren't you? So mm. for me, mm. that would conflict with them a little bit. So if we're going to test them a bit more as a wide forward, I don't overly mind it. But as a false nine, I would question that one. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There's not, it's not as if, if, if you're talking about being a good runner. It, there's not a lot of space to run. There's not a lot of space to be expo- exploited when you're in the middle of the pitch. Often in between, you know, defensive lines, midfield, def- the defence, it's very restricted in there. Firmino does really well in there because he's, as I said, he's got really good touches. He can c- c- kind of press resistant, get away, create little openings. I do think he's shown, as I said, I only watching some of his clips back, I was surprised at how good he was at that stuff. But I don't know. I I, I just don't, I, I'm not, as a Liverpool, if I was a Liverpool fan, I wouldn't be 
overly excited by that proposition. I guess that's the best way to summarise it. I'm not rubbishing it. I'm not saying it's impossible. I just, I'm not overly excited by it. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Another little switch, positional switch that has been, hasn't really been talked about, but it certainly seemed to happen in the club's first pre-season game. Was it Harvey Elliott as a centre mid, Dave? Harvey Elliott played as a number eight. Um, caught me off guard a little bit, but general thoughts on that as a, as a tactical movement, whether you think that's, that's one that we're going to see or whether you think it's purely a pre-season game and it's just to fit him in the 11 or what? Well, interestingly, I did look at, I wrote a piece on Elliot a little while ago while he was at Blackburn and he he played once or twice as an eight with them in, ironically, a 4-3-3. So I did, I, it did make me wonder, could this potentially, you know, happen at Liverpool? I don't know. The, the thing that stands out for me, Josh, is I still, although we, we it's, it's had, it's changing a little bit when you think of Thiago coming in, you think of potential changes to the structure and the dynamic of the team. If we just talk about what it's been in recent years, the midfield isn't really a place where Elliot could kind of express himself. You know, he'd, he'd, he'd have to be focusing a lot of it on his work without the ball and being quite sensible in possession, you know, retaining, keep distributing it and things. And, that's not really what you want. You, you see Elliot as this kind of exciting dribbler, you know, making things happen in the attack and fears. Um, and that's, for that reason, I'm thinking I'd probably still prefer to see him higher up the pitch and influencing things up there um, as opposed to being an eight. But maybe it's just a, a, a testament to his versatility that he could do a job there if required. Yeah, I thought it was quite interesting because I do think he is the type of player who would really benefit from having lots of speed in front of him. So I think it, it, I think if there's lots of movements ahead of him, you know, I'm thinking Salah and Mane, that and then behind, for example, I think he would really benefit from from that, you know, being able to find them, because I think he would find them. I think he's good enough to find them. And that would also generate space as well for him to use and stuff. Mm. So I think if he was to play as a, a number eight, I think he'd play kind of like a... James Madison type number eight um, when Rodgers first took over as in he's kind of like a number eight, number ten type, bit like a mount, Mason Mount. I mean, I actually spoke in the transfers pod that Liverpool are kind of lacking that player, you know, a number eight, number ten type who can switch between positions and is good enough to play both. And I, I used De Bruyne as an example, Mason Mount, um, you know, players like that. Elliot didn't strike me as that type, but just thinking about the runners ahead of him and how he'd be able to find them, it it, it was a bit thought-provoking when I thought about it. I think you've got a point when it comes to the physicality, though, and stuff, and him maybe being unable to take certain risks. But I think specifically when it comes to physicality, I don't know how good he is on the physical side. I know he's, one of the weaknesses you, you could probably throw at him is his pace. I don't think he is the quickest. Um. Mm. He's five and, foot seven as well. Yeah, I've actually seen him in person. Actually, he's uh, he's not the biggest. You know, he's when I say that he's the tallest. I suppose he's fa- fairly filled out and stuff, but he's not very tall and things. So I don't know. I think it's again, it's one to watch. I don't think it's a permanent switch, but maybe it's a, more of a possibility than we we'd actually recognised. But 
a lot of it, especially for a player his age, you know, still just 18, I do feel like a lot of it will depend on how between now and maybe the age of 21, he develops physically, you know, on the physical side, mm-hmm. how quick he gets, how much, how built he gets, how much taller he grows and things. And then maybe at the age of 21, when he's stopped doing that, maybe then you can kind of focus on, okay, where's this player going to be best? In it, you know, where's his best position now? Where's he going to thrive most? Um, I still think it's probably going to sell a tight role. Yeah. But without the running in behind, I'm more of a coming to feet type thing. But he's still young enough to, to change that. You know, it's early days with him. But mm. still looks like a very interesting player, Dave. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, he's, he went out on loan, done really well. Uh, in terms of you know what he produced whilst he was whilst he was with Blackburn, you can't really ask for more than that. It was a successful loan. Whether he's done enough to feature this season, uh, it's you know for me it's a bit of a flip of a coin. But if not this season, you foresee that he'll be a first teamer uh, next season. Uh, and yeah, he's you know he, he still looks like a really good uh, recruit uh, from Fulham, wasn't it Fulham? Uh, Fulham. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's done, it seems like it's going to be a really good move. So, yeah. Um, and look, if he adds versatility to his game, we can play these different positions, then perfect. Yeah, definitely want to keep an eye on. And uh, I would not be that surprised if he was to stay around the squad this season. I know I've Josh, been saying it a few times. but Yeah, just on the subject of false nine, when I was saying about that piece, he also played false nine a few times for Blackburn. So, I, w- I would probably... Talk favour that more with him than Ox, I think. Mm. Um I'd like to see Elliot do it more than Ox. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we'll we'll see. You know, False Nine's very, very demanding role and stuff. You have to be really, really clever. But I do think he's got that about him. I think he's Stuart Down actually said fairly recently in a piece for the Athletic, I think it was, that at the age of seventeen, Elliot is ahead of Raheem Sterling in terms of up here, basically, you know, his, his, his in-game knowledge and stuff like that, and I suppose his, his tactical awareness and things and his, all that sort of stuff, whereas obviously Raheem was much further than the, mm. you know, much much quicker and stuff like that, much more developed on that side. So it's interesting. We'll see where we go with that one. Uh, and then final talking point, Dave. I think this one's a little bit less far down the line when it comes to transfers and things, but Nath Phillips being touted for Brighton. Mm. Uh, thoughts on that one? Yeah, um, I'm a little mm. bit surprised. Yeah, what are you surprised that Brighton have made a move? Yeah, because I I rate Brighton a lot when it comes to the recruitments. I think they think outside the box. They look really far, you know, beyond what most Premier League clubs do in terms of a network. And I think Phillips, I just yeah. Just for that reason, really, a bit surprised. I think style of play-wise, too, he's not really a... I mean, don't get me wrong, he was really good on the ball in certain moments. He could punch a few line-breaking passes through midfield and things. But he doesn't strike me as a a, a progressive centre-back who can maybe add value to his game and be a bit of a hidden gem. He, he strikes me as a, a Burnley-type centre-back. So I think when you get linked to Brighton and you get linked to Burnley, they're two really different approaches, I think. So I was a little bit surprised. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but then I look at it and I think, you know, Brighton have, have seen firsthand what he what he can do. He, he's come in 
in a difficult situation in the Premier League. Basically, debut season, wasn't it, really? He comes in and he performs above and beyond what's expected of him. Um, and I agree with what you're saying. You kind of picture him in this, you know, more defence-orientated like, side, but he, he wasn't. He was in this Liverpool team that kind of carried on playing as, as they always had. So high defensive line, centre-backs, seen a lot of the ball, a lot of distribution and and he didn't look out of place. You know, we performed really well. Uh, I thought on the floor he was strong and in the air he was phenomenal. Uh, I did have a look and it was only four players across the Premier League, uh, well, central defenders, over a thousand minutes had a better aerial dual success rate. You know, he was just so strong in the air. And maybe, maybe Brighton are looking at this thinking they know exactly what they're getting with him. Uh, and that's a really strong, well, a strong Premier League central defender. And you're potentially picking him up for just 15 million. And when you kind of, you know, say it in that way, you look at it and think, well, you know, is that smart business? Do you know what I mean, Josh? Like, is that actually, okay, it's not the it's not the hidden gem abroad or, you know, the, the clear great piece of scouting that Prane always seems to do. But is it in a different way? a good piece of business. You could probably make a case that it, it is. Yeah, I suppose, you know, you've got a point there and I think um, he came across to me certainly as uh, a really good professional and again, we're mm. going back to that whole dressing room thing and standards mm. and stuff but I think it does help to have a player like that around, especially one who's who's homegrown and English and stuff like that. Um, but I think I just maybe expect Brighton to, like, like this, is, this is what wasn't going to be something that we were going to talk about but Ozan Kabak is supposedly available for about eight and a half million. You know, mm. that's absolute buttons and that's that's half of of what it's being touted Liverpool would sell Phillips for. So I would expect Brighton maybe to do something more like that than mm. signing that Phillips. Um I don't think it'd be a rip off signing them, you know, for fifteen million. I don't think we'll be taking Brighton the cleaners by any by any means or anything like that. But I think just with it being Brighton. I would expect him to think outside the box a little bit more, but it does look anyway, doesn't it? Like he he might be on the move, you know, he might be searching for that game time that as a result of what he did last season, you know, you probably could argue that he deserves now. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, from that Liverpool perspective, you think 12 months ago, they were probably expecting nothing really, when then suddenly you've, you've earned 15 million from a player that you'd potentially written off. So, it's not a bad deal. I do wonder though if no deal come in, um, maybe if Canate didn't come in, I don't. Think Klopp definitely probably would have kept him, wouldn't he? Around after what he'd done last season, um, I think it is just the, the the quality of the deal. He's probably he probably thought we you know we could do with that money elsewhere to to improve in other areas, uh, and you can't really blame them. Yeah, well, I said the night in an ideal world, I think I'd be inclined to keep him till at least January, just to guard against any mad centre-back problems again, you know, setbacks or whatever, mm. just to keep him around until January, just to guard against that. But again, I'm speaking like the player's a robot. You know, the player has feelings, he wants to play. Um, and then in January, Brighton, Burnley might not be interested. You know, they might have went and signed someone else instead. So yeah, it's really difficult to align everything when it comes to this, this these, these types of windows, especially in the COVID climate and stuff. So, yeah, we'll have to see, keep an eye on that one. But although there's about, I think there's only about 40 days left of the window 
but it does feel very quiet at the minute. Feels like we're waiting for things to kick into gear. It feels like a few big deals need to happen to maybe get the ball rolling. Uh, but I think we'll round up there, Dave. And I think mm. you know we'll hope, hopefully, maybe next week. Hopefully, some transfers have happened. Really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, some more pre-season games, hopefully as well. And uh, just talking points, mate, until we edge a little bit closer to the start of the season, which only a few weeks now. Yeah, I mean, if any any of our listeners want to suggest any potential episode topics for us, you know, put them in the comments, go on YouTube and put them in the comments. We'll take a look and stuff. But yeah, thanks for joining us, Dave. Thank you, mate. Cheers, everyone. And we will be back next week to talk about Liverpool once more. Thanks for tuning in. See you then. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.